Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Layers Podcast. Today, we have another advertising industry veteran with us. We're very lucky to have uh, Christina Goldberg here to talk about how AI and deep learning are affecting the marketing landscape these days. Uh, Christina was previously the SVP of Programmatic at Spark Foundry, but is also one of the few folks in the industry that have experience across the buyer and seller ecosystem. She started her career all the way back at ValueClick, the massive ad network that dominated the first edition of online ad sales, uh, the first evolution of online ad sales, and then moved on to the innovative vibrant media for a number of years. Uh, But she's also worked in mobile ad tech, social media and native ad tech, and uh, really understands publishers, middle of ad tech and the marketers. So we're really excited to have her today. Christina has also been a very vocal supporter of marketers adopting AI and machine learning. And I think that her diverse background is going to make for a great episode today. So welcome, Christina. Yeah, thank you. Excited to be here. So, Christina, you have, as, as we just sort of touched on, you have an interesting and some would say pretty unique uh, resume in the industry. Tell us about this journey of yours from ad network to ad tech to, to the agency world. Yeah, sure. Um, oftentimes people describe it as a bit of a reverse commute. <laughs> um, I spent, you know, nearly a decade, to your point, um, in the tech space supporting publishers, selling digital sponsorships, multi-channel advertising, and eventually layered in deal negotiation with the big, you know, third-party data companies. Um, But I was feeling a little bit about exactly how it's described today. There's like the buy side and the sell side, and that there's a little bit of a, I don't know, fence is the right word to use, but kind of a a dividing mechanism between the two sides, so to speak. And I was just curious about what happened on the other side. So I started to crave a broader understanding of um, strategy drivers direct from CMOs and, and senior marketers. So I found myself often asking the buy side why a lot and getting frustrated by things like planning cycles and, and somewhat of a weak feedback loop sometimes. So I just wanted to get closer to it, really. It came out of a selfish need. Um, so when the opportunity arose to join an agency that had this goal of evolving their trading desk model at the time to build a transparent, agnostic, tech and data-led practice, coupled with the fact that, honestly, I'd be working for a boss that I did and still do very much respect immensely, um, it just felt like the perfect collision of personal and professional growth that provided this sort of portal onto that other side of the fence, so to speak. Um, and it turned out to be incredibly eye-opening, challenging at sometimes, but overall, it was super rewarding. And so what, how, how did your publisher and ad tech background help you succeed on the agency side? I think like in any type of relationship, it it becomes communication driven, right? And so I think having, being able to bring um, a a perspective that isn't maybe always there, I think was, was helpful, but also a little bit challenging. There were certain things that I think that were um, kind of main, mainstay kind of to be expected that maybe I didn't have, and I could bring my alternate perspective in so that I I think what it afforded me to do really was be the left to somebody's right eye or the right to somebody's left eye. So we could bring a much broader sort of uh, marketplace wide perspective into a meeting. Um, And and I think that created really healthy, unique dialogue almost. Um, And it made us ask different questions or frame things a little bit differently as a result of being able to bring that perspective in. 
Yeah. So, so what do you see is like, you know, I think this is, this is an interesting opportunity, right? So like what, what do you think the blind spots are between like a publisher? What is the publisher's blind spot about how the agency is really working? And then on the other side, like what's the agency's blind spot to really how, how to work best with publishers in your experience? Yeah, it's interesting because I think for the longest time, I do look at them as separate entities, and I, I still do, and I'll get into that in a sec. But also, if you think about it, their worlds are definitely colliding, right? Marketers are publishing, and publishers are marketing. And so I think to some degree, they're more symbiotic than even we probably give them credit for. But I also look at it as, and maybe this is a little bit of naivete on my own behalf, but the publisher side to me seems less complex, right? If you break it, at least from this perspective, you know, if you're, if you're a sports publisher, you're always publishing sports content. Sure, the way in which it's delivered can change and evolve over time as tech changes and evolves, but you're still delivering like sports content through and through. Whereas a marketer has to often think about all different lanes and you almost have to create, use bespoke technology stack in order to sort of string together varying technologies, varying publishers. So if I had to visualize it, it's almost like a one-to-many approach is how I look at it from the marketer's lens. And then from the publisher's lens, they have a very specific, you know, one of those boxes, if you will, as an output. So, and speaking of output, sometimes I, I also look at it as inputs and outputs. The marketer is the input and the publisher is the output, right? And they can, they can go back and forth with each other, which sort of creates that feedback loop. Um, but, but I do think one of the blind spots, specifically more on the publisher side, is that I think it's really, at least, and maybe, again, I haven't been on that side in, in several years, but it would have been more helpful for me at that time to know true holistic strategy, not just as it relates to my specific technology or to my um, publishing partner, but what is the overall goal that that marketer is trying to achieve? And I think that creates more of an upstream opportunity. Um, and that's how you get, right? Like I would say, I wish I knew how to get above the traditional RFP process. The traditional RFP process, what I became really, really kind of clued in on once I joined the agency side, that's where all of the competition exists. You know, you're sending it out to the masses and hoping that you get the best plans back and then you make a strategy based on that. I think for publishers, it's really important to get ahead of that RFP process so that you're part of the narrative proactively, not reacting to narratives that somebody else built. And I, I think that's where those worlds colliding creates that really sort of smart dialogue that has definitely been happening more and more upstream, but I think needs to continue happening higher upstream. Yeah, I mean, that sounds, the, that sounds yeah. great. But, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of the sales, salespeople out there, of course, want that. Uh, but I think their experience has been that the uh, agency or marketer hasn't been willing to to uh, open up the kimono a lot of the time. Was that was that a different experience for you? No, I think I well, I think that they're willing to. I think sometimes the questions need to change. So, you know, saying why didn't we make a plan is very different than why did others make the plan. You know, sometimes it's just mm-hmm. like a change in narrative, and also it's also making sure that you're speaking to people above maybe the media planner level. And it's not, it's not to dog any of them, but it's or to downplay the role of a planner. But oftentimes the planners are the one more tactical. And I think it's really important to go to like a senior planner or the strategy lead on the account to understand that. I would see that dialogue happen. I think I never knew 
before I got over to the side who I really needed to talk to. Every agency is set up incredibly different, and they use terminology that I wouldn't even know somebody had that role. And maybe this is me being naive, but we never use the term investment on the tech side. We use revenue and, you know, and margins and things like that. We didn't, we never used investment as a term. So I wouldn't have known necessarily that the investment lead was who I needed to talk to or strategy lead. It's just, I think sometimes it comes down to really understanding, taking more time to understand the, the layout of the agency. I do think more and more they're willing to share it, but sometimes the questions just aren't there or they're not asking it to the right people. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, in working with the agencies and also you've been in the ad tech realm for a while, you've seen a lot of data, you've seen a lot of the, the, the need for automation and things like that. So why talk about, talk about why you, you've been pretty outspoken on panels on, uh, in, in articles about machine learning and AI, especially on the agency side and the marketer side, like what what brought you to to the realization that hey, this is this is time we need to really invest uh, uh, in in these technologies. Yeah, for sure. I think look, I've used this narrative for the past several years, and anyone who works like with me for me, whatever, is definitely familiar. Might even eye roll at this, but. I've always had this notion that human makes machine, the machine breaks, human has to fix the machine, right? And it's all about how do we sort of make, make machines to some degree smarter than us to help solve problems. Um, you know, a, a friend of mine recently used, used a line that said, you know, we use te- technology helps us to suck a little less every day. <laughs> like that's sort of the notion that I'm built on is, you know, we use it almost in a subconscious manner, whether it be our car helps, you know, to parallel park for us, or we ask Siri, you know, for directions to a restaurant or something like that, right? We're using it subconsciously. And what I was sort of, I don't know, what I've always been ahead of the curve on it, I hope, or at least my perception has been is, cool, how do we just use technology to make our lives easier and better and more efficient? Um, And it's hard. You have to balance that with, is it worth it? You know, is is the cost worth it? Is the effort worth it? Is the test and learn methodology worth it? But, but that's really what it comes down to is don't we just want to make our lives easier? So did you, did you find that at your agency, other agencies, et cetera, you know, the, the people that you spoke to in the industry, do you find that they also felt like it was time to embrace automation that machine learning could bring uh, the new opportunities that AI could bring. Cause I, I would say that we, we see it as a mixed bag. Like some are really embracing it and some seem to not want to embrace it because they, because of their business models of headcount and things like that, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have the widest perspective. You probably have a wider perspective than I do on that admittedly. But I do think people embrace it, and sometimes I'm not so sure that it even is being introduced as a machine learning component or an AI component. So I think sometimes that's tricky, too. It just goes back, again, to language um, being a barrier sometimes to that. I also think agencies are are definitely using it internally for their own processes, right? I've seen it used for for components like, you know, helping with billing automation or, or things like that. So I think when it comes to media activation, that's a little bit slower probably to, to the form, but you know, the people that are doing it well, at least, and again, this could be very one-sided just given what my recent stint was, 
But I, I do believe, like, BSPs are using it really well. I think the agency needs to figure out the right use case for what, what challenges it's trying to solve in order to see if it needs to be integrated or not. And, again, it really goes back to that, you know, did it matter, was it worth it notion. It can, as you know better than anyone, it can take quite a bit of investment strategy um, time, some test and learn in order to sort of figure out which levers to pull and to sort of tinker with that machine. And you have to, agencies definitely have to prioritize what's going to drive potential incrementality or changes in performance against all the other tasks that they're faced with. And I think sometimes maybe that's why it's not put all the way at the forefront. But but yeah, I think it's definitely an open and broad conversation between agencies and clients. I think, again, it comes back to use case analysis and figuring out what is it going to actually solve for you, and does that make sense to do it at that point in time? Right. And so, so getting back to the first part of that answer, um, using the right language, um, do you see it as an advantage for companies to go in and say, hey, we do machine learning, we do AI, here are the things that we can help you with? Or do you think it actually works better when you mask that stuff and just, and just talk about the high-level, um, uh, you know, we get you better KPI, we improve your ROAS, you know, th- that kind of thing. Like, are the agencies yeah. uh, ready to uh, – do they have the people that can say, oh, machine learning, okay, that sounds good versus, well, I don't really understand machine learning, but I do understand ROAS. I never think anyone should mask anything. Um, I believe in, I do think it's an opportunity for education, and that might mean repetition or evolving your narrative. Again, I I, I think the term sort of AI is like the output or to, or the Band-Aid, if you will, to the symptom that you're trying to cure. You know what I mean? So you might have some symptoms, but you need to cure the disease. I think that's how it goes. I might botch that um, analogy. But but that's often how I look at it. And I do think it's similar to what I said before. Look, agencies can be somewhat tough to navigate. I've been there. I've tried to navigate. It's hard sometimes. And I think, and that's to no one's fault. You know, they're massive companies. Any big organization is going to be tough, somewhat tough to navigate. But I, I do think that, it, it becomes an education game and you kind of need to invest in a longer term narrative. And again, it goes back to what I was saying before. If you can't get to what the core business drivers are for the, that client, your one tiny little blip at that point of execution or even of driving a strategy, you have to figure out how to get, how to be a piece of the bigger picture. And I think, I think if that can happen and it's not easy, then I think that's how it's executed. You do also have to find the people that really, are making the decisions in terms of planning, but also buying, also measurement, because AI touches on all of those, and also strategy. Yeah, yeah. And so you touched on, you touched on, you know, the idea of incrementality, and like people are, you know, some. Well, first, first, let's actually talk about the client versus the agencies. Let's talk about the clients. In your experience, what did the clients were the clients asking for more advanced things or were they just asking, Hey, solve the same problem that I ask you to solve, get me the results I need. I don't really care how we do it. Um, but they have to be better than last year or, or, or what, where, where were the clients in the conversation of machine learning, AI and, 
and those types of things. Yeah, I mean, that varies for sure, depending where they are in sort of their journey with that. I think, you know, the more sophisticated clients or the ones that have have decided to invest in, and I'm not saying the bigger budgeted clients because it's not necessarily that. It's the clients that just have that craving for utilizing technology to help. And I think that's what it is. It's always it's always sort of, to me, it goes hand in hand with how comfortable are you with using technology to take over some of the, the manual labor, if you will, of the past. And not only take over the manual labor, but, but learning something new that you didn't know before, right? That's really sort of what, what it drives, in my opinion, is, is the sort of data-informed learning mechanism. Um, but do, you, do you see I the clients? Think, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Do you see the clients that are more willing to adopt technology and sort of quote unquote more advanced in that way? Do you see them as being more interested in actually in housing? Like we hear all the time now, we hear about marketers in housing, you know, their their abilities. Do you see that as a correlation in your experience? I don't know if that's a direct correlation for sure. I mean, we can certainly talk about in housing, but I don't know if the automated processes are the correlation to it. Um, but I, I think one of the, I think one of the challenges that everybody's faced with, with maybe why it's been harder to adopt, is more of a marketplace theory. So one of the challenges that I was faced with is that brands and marketers have these business processes in place that they need to abide by for obvious reasons. Like, again, I'm going to bring up like planning cycles, right? Let's use that as an example. And then you have to you consider AI, which has this completely real-time component to it. That almost contradicts those business processes. And so I think sometimes it's really difficult to bring those worlds together. It's not that they don't have a desire to do it or that they're not already doing it. I, I would argue that probably to some degree, clients are invested in some type of machine learning technology already if they're using more automated tech to help with something, right? I, I don't necessarily think it's a barrier. I also think there are privacy concerns as it relates to data sharing right now, right? The big R word regulation is popping out. I think, I think those are the things that are more, maybe not barriers, but are definitely questions or wrinkles that need to be ironed out. And I think that's the opportunity to partner. Um, and I think that's more the correlation for me personally, as opposed to in-housing, unless I completely didn't understand your question. <laughs> right, right. No, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right, well, let's move on to another sort of machine learning topic that we've been discussing a lot here at Cognitive, and, and we hear a lot of chatter about uh, online these days is, uh, it sounds like, it feels like we've been talking about this forever, but last touch versus multi-touch attribution modeling, and mm-hmm. sort of hand-in-hand hand with that, something you touched on earlier is incremental lift, um, the, the want and need for incremental lift and, and the way that marketers spend their money. Um, you know, we, we talk about it a lot here at Cognitive because we feel like incremental lift plus last touch attribution isn't like, doesn't really work. They don't really work together. Uh, multi-touch attribution seems to be very hard um, to do or marketers aren't yet willing to spend the money to do multi-touch attribution. So we feel like, but then marketers are always asking for, hey, we want incremental lift. How do you see all these things coming together? And, and did you, you know, what, what was your thought process at the agency level um, in dealing with all these 
these these advanced but very much uh, uh, sought after uh, capabilities. Yeah, one of my favorite topics. I think it's it's kind of interesting. Like to me, we can't talk about MCA without talking about last touch, right? So to kind of just put that in a sentence, I think one of the sort of the reasons why last touch is still largely adapted or adopted rather is because it yields this like instant gratification, right? And hooray, search, you know, wins supreme. <laughs> like we get it. And I think everybody understands the need to shift to MTA. I think more clients than not have moved or are testing sort of behind the scenes for it. It just requires a complete you have to look at it differently and it requires additional stakeholders. It's likely that goes outside of marketing departments, right? And so I think that's sort of where the complexity lies, whether it be, it, it's almost like a new definition of incremental lift needs to come to the forefront. And I, and I always like to have people finish the sentence, like incremental lift, what does that mean to you exactly? Does it mean incremental lift on a specific campaign to a specific channel to your overall marketing you know, initiative, let's finish that sentence and make sure that we, we understand the question better before we try to answer it. And I think sometimes that's what happens. We, we get away from a, what we perceive to be an easy question to answer, but sometimes they're so broad, we need to get into those specifics in order to figure out which, which is going to work. And I think that's what creates sort of all that complication into moving to an MTA model. And I think you have to figure that out before you can sort of have the incremental lift conversation and vice versa. You have to prioritize and figure out which one you want to kind of lean into. In theory, I would imagine, and all of our hopes and dreams are based on this predication, if MTA really works and works well, it'll drive incremental lift, right? So, so then they become part of the same sentence. Um, right. And I, I think and the biggest thing there is what, is what you called out before is that it's a model. It's a model. And models take time to tinker with, to grow, and to iterate. And I, I think it just requires a lot of patience and investment at a long period of time in order to, to shift to that. It's the opposite of that instant gratification that LTA offers you. And, and do you see, did you see um, in your experience, you know, uh, the clients, overcomplicating um, their move to MTA. So I think, you know, we also, we also see a lot of, Hey, we're moving to MTA, but it's going to take us two years because we have to integrate our television and our print and all these other things versus just starting with some, uh, you know, something a little more clean, like just all the digital signals, including search and you know those types of things. Did you see that or, or you think even implementing MTA in digital is a, is a very long-term process? I think it is a longer process. I think that was one of the biggest things that I learned hopping over into the agency side fence is that it's really easy from the outside to sort of have this notion of why can't you just implement it? It's all these, you know, it's 10 integrations and make it happen in the next couple of months. The reality is the marketers have a million priorities that they have to balance on behalf of their own CMOs, right? And, and their own company. Um, and, you know, if you think about that's why it's very difficult to change an ad server. It can take years to do that. To move from LTA, your entire strategy has been predicated on, on you know, one model and to switch that model. And in theory, 
think about it. If you were in the marketer's shoes and you're going to switch, to, you're going to be the person who says, let's push this button and move from LTA to MTA. And it could, in theory, have the opportunity to blow up everything that you've, you've been doing in the past. I think that's a real consideration. I'm not saying that I think that's a hindrance by any means, but it's definitely going to most likely make your, your outcome look differently than what it's looked in the past. And that sort of annoys me when I get in those conversations, quite frankly, because if it was that easy to adopt and it was that easy to do, everybody would have been doing it already and it wouldn't have an issue. It's very complicated in my opinion. And it takes an, an extreme amount of patience, coordination and time and so I, I do feel that it, it is going to take that time. And the marketers who are leaning into it are setting it up that way. They're building that into their future and, and into now. And I think you, there are ways that you can start to compare two or three channels. Maybe you don't have to boil the ocean and compare all, you know, 10 channels that you're activating against. But let's start to compare, you know, connected TV. I think there's such a massive opportunity to see how, you know, the performance drivers or, or what that impact has on your display by and vice versa. Um, your mobile app yeah. inventory, you know, on your print buy. Like, there's just different ways, and I do. I think it's, I think it's a massive mapping experience that goes outside of marketing, and I think that's the big challenge, personally. And again, I don't, I don't think that's like a marketer's fault or an agency's fault. I think it's just that's, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. We've seen, you know, in our research of the of the different uh, multi-touch attribution. Uh, vendors is that they're all they're all working now towards trying to get more of those real-time results using deep learning and machine learning capabilities and we see the same thing in incremental lift you know we talk to a lot of customers a lot of marketers about their need for incremental lift and we hear a lot of the time that they've they've been trying to figure out incremental lift for a long time but they just haven't had technology and we've found that to, to build the technology or the solution to deliver consistent scalable results and and we've also found that finally you know with deep learning now we have the opportunity to actually deliver that kind of a solution um, and I think one of the one of the hiccups though is that a lot of people keep trying to um, they keep trying to uh, couple incrementality with last touch attribution and the modeling off of that just never, it just doesn't work. Um, so I, 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 we, we feel a lot of frustration coming from the, the marketing side on those pieces. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why there's so much, it's, it's almost that whole like analysis paralysis notion of all the varying models out there, right. That are available and, it's a lot of pressure for someone to have to choose which model that they're going to invest in over the next, you know, let's call it certainly probably the next 12 to 18 months minimally. Um, and so, so I, I totally understand. It's a big conversation. I have with a lot of the technology partners is it's a, it's a big decision and you need complete collaboration with measurement. And sometimes those are the same partners and sometimes those are different partners. And there has to be, it's like, it's kind of like the theme, I think, of what we've been talking about is, you know, collisions. And, and I mean that in a positive way, but it's, it's the bringing together of different sides of the business to work a lot closer and tighter on behalf of, you know, to, to achieve rather the marketer's um, expectation. So we only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to sort of have the send-off question be about 
uh, another topic of the day, which is um, basically there's a lot of coverage out there. And an Ad Exchanger article recently, uh, and I'll paraphrase it, said that media agencies are adrift and they're operating without a workable business model. How do you feel about that statement? What do you, what do you think the future of the media, media agency looks like? Yeah, I mean, I think – I, I do think agencies, like, that's a very broad statement to make about a very, you know, big and sort of timeless realm in our space. I, I do think to an extent they get a bad rap, um, and I'm not afraid to, to certainly say that um, because I, I don't think it's totally true. I think, you know, anything in life, there's always companies or people or whatever that there may be one bad apple that sort of ruins it for the bunch. And I think there are some incredibly good and genuinely caring agencies out there who do uphold that traditional concept of being a true agent of a brand and fighting for them all the time. But there's always going to be like a bad apple that ruins it, right? Um, And I think, though, also that no single tech or agency is good at absolutely everything. So it's important to sort of go beyond cost and business models to help enable and empower the agency to do what it does best, like bring that innovative and smart holistic strategy to your business to achieve your goals. And I think that requires constant open feedback between the two. And I think that's what, that's sort of what will build upon the rest of it. I also, you know, there's like a line that I use a lot in my daily vernacular, which is it's simply about a cost of doing business. And, you know, it, it's sometimes you have to almost start with the period and then build the sentence before it. Like this is how much it's going to cost us to bring this to you, to give you this, you know, exposure, incremental lift, or whatever it is that you're being challenged to do, this is what it's going to cost us. When you talk about those models that need to adapt, well, great, that's the way to do it. It's going to cost you this. The model at which that we get to in order to achieve it, what, let's talk about that and figure out maybe there is a different type of model that works for you. And I'm seeing those conversations well outside the realm of, of the agency I worked at where I think both sides are coming to the table having just a much more open conversation about that. And I think that open dialogue, right, that's been a theme throughout too. As these worlds are colliding and a lot more data and information is being exposed out there, everyone just needs to communicate a little bit more. I don't think there are like terribly, you know, secret. It's not a lot of secret and smoke and mirrors anymore. I think it's much more about not being afraid to have an open, honest conversation about this is how much it's going to cost. I can work with you on the model at which to get it. If you're going to undercut me or you expect me to, to undercut you, then it's going to suffer and you have to be comfortable with you get what you pay for. And I, 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 I think that's more sort of the direction um, that, it's, that it's going. And, and I also think an opportunity for agencies is bringing together using machine learning, AI, data, all of this, to really help bring media and creative together, I think is, is largely going to be sort of the next big frontier. Um, and I know it's already been a thing and a lot of people are doing it. There's DCO and all of that and, and I'm in it, but, but I, I think it can be done smarter, faster, better, stronger. And I think that's a real opportunity um, for, for the near future. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time, Christina. We're out of time for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate you coming back over and over to the Hidden Layers podcast. We'll be back next time with another marketing veteran, and we look forward to having you all back. Thanks, everybody. Have a great rest of your week.